What's going on, people? I would like to welcome all of you to another Q11 edition of the Talk to Q Radio Show. My name is Quincy, and this is my show. And with the Q11s, what I like to do is interview people to expose my audience to new things. I talk to authors, entrepreneurs, entertainers, counselors, other podcasters, and sometimes just your everyday person who just has something to say about a particular topic. So it's an opportunity for you to get to know these people up and close and learn their story. What sparked the passion to choose a certain career or what inspired them to write that book? Or why is this person so opinionated about a particular topic? So just sit back and enjoy the show and please be encouraged to share. A lot of my guests, much like myself, kind of do their thing by word of mouth. So the more that you share, like or comment on a social media post, then the more you can help me grow the show. And it also gives more support to the people that I bring on the show who are looking to get their services, products, and talents out to the masses. So without further ado, let's get to the interview. What's going on, people? All right. want to welcome you back to another Q11 edition of the Talk to Q Radio Show. My name is Quincy, and this is my show. And Rojana Harris returns to the show tonight to discuss more in detail about the time she spent in federal prison for tax fraud. Her story is one of redemption. I mean, but how did she get to that point? What were the ins and outs of the daily life on the inside? You know, is the prison system about reform or or retention? I mean, what is it about? She was back on the show in November. And despite coming on so late in the year, her appearance on the show still managed to be one of the most popular episodes for 2020. So, from the Pelican State of Louisiana, please welcome back Miss Rajana Harris to the Talk to Q Radio Show. Rajana, hey. what's going on? Hi, thank you so much for having me again. So excited to be on. I'm I'm ready for this because, like I said um, previously backstage, I know a lot of people really want to know a lot about what goes on in the federal system or in prison for whatever matter or case there is. And I want to clip a lot about a lot of situations that go on in there. The things that people yeah. see on television isn't true. It's totally different depending on what um, what background you go to. Like if you're going to state, state can be a little bit more alarming than federal. But mm. in my experience um, of being there, it was a lot of depression, a lot, a lot of sadness, yeah. um, just a lot that's different than the norm, if that makes sense. I understand. And we'll definitely get into that. You know, the interview you and I did uh, was entitled From Prison Suit to Power Suit. And it talked about how you had to overcome a federal prison stint due to tax fraud. And now for those who missed it, who missed that show, you can Google T2Q Prison Suit and um, get caught up. Okay, it's an amazing interview that Ro did with me. And so you can get caught up if you Google that. But you've done so much since your appearance on the show back in November. Can you catch everyone else up on what's been going on since your appearance here? And then we'll get into the other stuff. Well, it's been a lot that's been going on. Um, I've been blessed, if I must say so myself. I was able to get an office. And with my office, I was able to go in and start helping with a lot of cases, a lot of different situations, a lot of heartbreak, a lot of pain, because a lot of people that are incarcerated, when you go in, the first thing that you want to do, as I've done myself, is clap. You don't want to stay in. You're trying to figure out a way. So before I left prison, they were doing the First Step Act, 
And that's been taking a high effect on a lot of people. But for me and myself on the streets, I've been able to maintain and do a lot of different things and meet a lot of different people and partner connect here and there where I could. So it's been amazing. It's been such an amazing thing. I can imagine. And so I think that's good. I think um, you're like I said, your story is a a great one. But I want to talk about life on the inside, you know, as far as prison is concerned. Mm-hmm. Kind of figure out what's real and what's not. You know, there are a lot of myths about prison. So I want to confirm or dispel some of those myth, myths. And, uh, you know, let's start from the beginning. Now, you were in federal prison. What is mm-hmm. it like when you first get there? I mean, what do you see when you go in? You know, kind of paint the picture for us. Um, I was self-surrender. So when I first went into the prison system, um, they cuffed me, which was a little bit humiliating because I felt like y'all already had me red-handed. So there's nothing else more that you need to do. I felt very intimidated. I felt very um, ashamed because I had to do a cavity check, you know, what everybody calls a cavity check. So Mm. I didn't know too much about how all that worked, being that I've never been exposed to anything like that before. I'm also going in, it's just this one big yard. And to me, and I'm just giving a view, it looked like a mini project to me. Like when you go in, it's this like three tier unit, but it looked like, true story, a project to me. It was just missing picnic benches and dirty diapers. True story. Um, When you go in, you have what they call the chow hall, which in federal prison, they call it the main line. Um, You also have the library. And you have the unbelievable store commissary, which is insane. Going in, the unit is dark, dim, gloomy. There's no color like reds, blues, yellows, purples, all that's out the door. There's only one, two actually, grays, whites, and browns. You know, um, when you walk in, the guards are not as friendly to you because you're new. So you have to learn or be broken in, in the sense, to learn how the system works. Going in, um, they expect you to know everything when the only ones that teach you things there are the inmates. So they tell you the up and up on this and that. You know, they're really the go-to to find out what to do. You're really lost. You don't you don't have a manual, a book, or a guide. They do do orientation. Your first two weeks in, you have to orientate so they can paint this beautiful picture as if, Oh, it's just going to be so wonderful. It's so laid back. You know, you're here. We're going to take good care of you. If you need anything, call me, call your counselor. No, doesn't work like that. You can call your counselor all day long. Like, honestly, when I first went in, I thought that a counselor was somebody you sat down with, you conversed with, and you told them your problems, your stories, your secrets. No, they could care less. Your counselor is the one that goes in and assign, helps assign your room. Um, your counselor and your uh, your team leader, she goes in, she helps you be assigned to your room if you have problems or difficulties with, with another inmate in the unit. That's what you go to them for. Not anything on a personal level, not none of that, because they don't want to hear that. Their job to them is just too much. And as an inmate, you feel like they're not doing enough. You know, and it's true. They don't, you know, they always overwhelm. Or if you're, you're like me, I was such a nice person in there to where they make you snap. You know, you're going yeah. in, listen, I'm a businesswoman. You know, I'm just trying to talk to you and converse with you about this situation. What's going on? How can we do this? How can I get my paperwork from the state system? You know, no, you better call a family member 
Or if you know another inmate in there that knows somebody who they can email to get a connection with, to look out for them, then that's the only way you're going to get anything done on your own. You have to make the initiative in there. So mm. yeah. now, as far as um, the the other prisoners are concerned, like how many women were to a cell? Um, in the cell, there's two women to assigned okay. to a cell. Um, when you first walk in, it's tiny, but not as small. It's tiny. It is. I know me when I first walked in, I must have had a panic attack for the first six months. Like I really could not breathe because I never been confined in such a small space. Yeah. And when you go in, you have your bunk bed. I was top bunk. You know, you're assigned top bunk and bottom bunk. There is a toilet that's in there. There's also a water fountain and a, a little mirror that you can't even see in. So when you go on lockdown, because they open up the cells at 5 a.m. and they close us in at 945. So that open span you have, but when they lock those doors, you can't go out. And I'll tell you, for me, panic immediately set in because even though 945-ish, the kids would be asleep, ideally, you're still worried. Because what if something happens? You can't call your family. You're constantly checking the email to figure out what's going on. You know, are you getting an email? Your heart sink because you heard somebody died. Or but you can't do anything about it. And that's another another thing that happens in there when you're there. You're full of stress and worry about things that you cannot control. It's just not going to happen. Like I had to make myself sit down and said, you know what, bro? Either you're going to live in here. Are you going to live out there? You have to pick a choice between the two. And it actually took me a whole year to figure that out. I stressed myself out so much that all my hair fell out. You know, it, it just, I mean, all of it's back now, but still I was stressed out and overwhelmed because I wanted to know what was going on every day with my children. And if they didn't email me or I couldn't get in touch with them immediately, I'm thinking somebody's died. You know, they're dead. I'm just being honest. Yeah. So, so how important is having the the right cellmate? It's very important because I had one that was um, a lesbian and I have nothing against the um, LGBT community. I have nothing against them. But in there, she always had a girlfriend that she was um, conversing with, like they had sexual mm-hmm. relationships and stuff. So what I would do so that I wouldn't be around when a girlfriend came, I would actually excuse myself. I'd leave and I'd go to the law library and be gone all day long. And when I came back, I was expecting them to at least respect my space and be gone. But guess what? No, that didn't happen. They were paying somebody cupcakes and little daddies to wash the door, which really drove me nuts. It it really drove me insane. And anyway, um, one day I snapped because for me, I'm again, I'm a really nice person. I don't try to bother anybody, but it was to the point where enough was enough. Like, you know, I didn't want to make a confrontation, but I had to, I blew up and she didn't argue back because it's not right. Every time I come to the room, you still got this girl up in here up until it's time for lockdown. And here I am. This is my peace, my sanity, my privacy. When I come in. Uh Oh, I lost you, Ro. Ro, are you there? All right. We'll take a quick break and see if we can get Ro back. Hi, everyone. I'm Michelle of Resume Cheek, um, Craft and Pro Writing to Market Your Career to the Next Level. We do resumes, cover letters, thank you letters, interview prep sessions, critiques, 
business letters, employment verification, any type of written content, I'm your girl, Resume Chick. You can reach me at ResumeChickLLC.org. On Facebook, I'm Resume Chick LLC. And on Instagram, I'm underscore Resume Chick LLC. Hope to talk to you soon. Let's get back to the podcast here. And I have row back. And you got me? We we good? Mm-hmm. All right. All right. So, uh, yeah, you finished your thought. You were saying that you didn't have any type of privacy because no, every time you come back, she was she there. Is, she's paid somebody, Little Debbie's in Cupcakes, to watch the room. So I snapped because, you know, pressure will burst a pipe. And when you're in that situation, one, you're worried. You can't get out. You know, you're aiming to try to do everything you can to, to get along with everybody. And then you have something unforeseen like this that happens. So you can't let them smooth you over and take advantage because this person been in six years. I had just yeah. come in there. So I don't know what's going on. I don't know what to do. You know, when I snapped, she did not argue back. She was in full agreement. We went to the council and guess what? The council left us in the room. So when you go in and you have an issue with a bunkie, you would expect that they would move you. No, nope. mm-hmm. if you don't get along with your bunkie, they make you wait up in there longer on purpose. True story. So that went on for a while. Um, after a few weeks, we just stopped talking to each other. Like, I could care less who you are, why you up in here, you know, just whatever. And then eventually we were, we ended up moving and she got caught upstairs with the same girl in another room with a dildo on top of her. So <laughs> the guard came in and locked the door, locked them in there butt naked. And yeah. <laughs> they called other officers in. And the other officers came in and escorted both of them out. I had them dressed and escorted both of them out. It's crazy. Oh, so yeah, having the right roommate can make a huge difference. I mean, so yeah. but all right. So let's let let's let's say, all right, it's day one. You get to your cell, you don't know how anything works, you, you have no idea how people will react to you. You're starting mm-hmm. what was supposed to be a 30-month sentence. That was your original sentence, right? Yes. Yeah. Um, so you you mentioned depression before. I can't imagine having your world just kind of flipped upside down like that. So I imagine that depression is bad throughout the prison, right? Yeah, it is. I mean, the one thing I will tell you the most that happens, a lot of people up in there, they just want to go home. Like it's not the American dream that everybody make it seem like because you're in feds. Oh, everything is so amazing and nice. Oh, y'all got it made. At the end Mm. of the day, you're still incarcerated. You're still away from your loved one. You're still away from your life. You're in a whole nother world that you have to learn all over. Like, I didn't know what commissary was. Like, what is commissary? They're like, well, your your number is number so-and-so-and-so, so so you got to go next. And I'm like, huh? Yeah, when you hear this number, you go with this group of people. When you go in commissary, it's like World War 10. You walking in, you have two officers that on each side, on each side, and here you are, you thinking that you just walk in, you can pick up stuff. You're an inmate. You're not walking in touching nothing. You're a thief, as far as they know. So the officers have other inmates that they monitor who actually check you out. So you'll fill out this list. It's a commissary sheet with everything that the store has, and you mark on your sheet what you want. And once you mark on your sheet what you want, you go up front. And then in the federal system, what they do is they scan you um, with your thumbprint. And once they scan your thumbprint, it shows your account balance and how much money you have on your books. And then you can go in and withdraw, you know, get whatever you need out of, out of the commissary. Mm. 
So, I mean, that type of lifestyle, I, I'm guessing it was really conducive to a lot of drug use because, I, I mean, I know they get drugs in prison. Yeah, they do. I actually had a bunkie named Maxie who got caught with meth. Now, the story was one of the girls that came in with the meth, um, she had a family member that brought it in through visitation. And when she brought it in through visitation, she went through smoothly the first time. But the second time they bought it and it was inside the baby diaper. So they stopped letting us have visits uh, with the children inside of the, the visitation uh, stall for the, the playroom. They have like a little playroom set up for kids when they come and do visits. So they stopped it completely because the girl bought the baby in with a diaper uh, and, and inside the baby's diaper was meth, drugs. So they, they do the most. I mean, even putting other people in a situation just to take advantage, you know, so it's crazy. The drugs are horrid in prison. That's okay. And so you, you're in prison. You've been there. You've mentioned your cellmate. You've mentioned some other people. I think you said her name was Maxie. But mm-hmm. uh, there are all kinds of personalities in jail. And I'm sure it's very difficult to tell, like, who's real and who's fake. Yes. So did some of the ladies put on a front as far as who they were on the outside, you know, prior to them being incarcerated? Oh, yeah. You have one that was like a, a Trina fan, like, you would have thought that Trina gave birth to her because she idolized her so. Trina the rapper. Yeah. Mm-hmm. <laughs> oh yeah, that was her. That was her baby sister. I'm serious. Like she had pictures that she took with her, but it wasn't like a whole style of picture. You know how like you're a, a, a groupie, if that makes mm-hmm. sense. Mm-hmm. <laughs> That's what it looked like to me. You know, um, you have your video vixens, your uh, pimps. Believe it or not. Your porn stars, yeah. You have your uh, um, queen pins, a lot of queen pins. True story. And I think that with the queen pins, they caught up. They got caught up because of a man. But when you're in prison, you know, you be, you know. So yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, not I did so and so and so. But at the end of the day, you crying and trying to fight your case to get out of there. But you just bragging everybody about how much dope you just smuggled in. So what is it gonna be? You did it or you didn't? You know. You have your liars, your manipulators. Um, You have people that will actually manipulate their family members. They will call and put on this sad story only because they owe somebody in there or they owe for for drugs or or whatnot, you know. So they'll go in and and get this sad story about, oh, my restitution is due and I need extra money by so-and-so date or they're going to shut my phone and stuff off. No. No. We just watched you lie. No. No. And I'm pretty sure you also had uh, quite a few jailhouse lawyers. I was one of them. <laughs> <laughs> I was one of them. Yes. Me and a lady named Miss Hall. Like we had an abundance of cases. I think like when I first cracked the first three cases, um, everybody started, go to her, go to her, go to her. She's really good. Go to her, go to her. You know, and me and Miss Hall, we wasn't in competition, you know, because Miss Hall, when I tell you she was a scholar at this, like, Hands down, this woman was the best person at law that I knew. She was in for murder. She murdered her daughter. Mm. Yep, she she murdered her daughter. But when it came to immigration cases and Mm -hmm. uh, criminal cases, she was like really, really good, very clever. And she did help a lot of people become free behind it because of her expertise and her knowledge. And I learned a lot from her. Hmm. A lot of interesting people. I mean, so how do you know who to trust in prison? I mean, it's so many you different personalities. It's hard because, um, you know, you, you're dealing with people that got 
a lot of issues going on. You're dealing with people who trying to be something that they wasn't or they're putting on a front to please other people in there. I mean, it's very hard to go in and, and realize who's on boat, who's on the boat and who's not. So I kind of pick between the two of all of it. You know, I, I just hang around everybody and I didn't really try to make like a certain uh, stereotype of a person. You know, it's, it's just that if we connect on a, a good level as far as business and, you know, conversation goes and we go outside to reckon we will actually make meetings to go outside and talk about, OK, but when we get out, you know, this is what our plan is. This is what our goal is, you know. So for me, um, as depression did kick in, I had to find something to do. And my best thing that I can do was teach someone else how to cope because I knew what I was going through. So I became a teacher. I taught women empowerment classes and I also taught ACE classes. And what ACE class is, is um, adult continuing education. They use those as points and credits for you to be able to, supposed to be for you to get out sooner. Yeah, uh, earlier. The first step act. Yeah, the programming and stuff. But honestly, when it comes to prison, I mean, it's just not like that. Like in prison, you want to do all you can to comply, but rules are being bent. And I was one that bent the rules. And I'll tell you how. Because I was a teacher, they call it a hustle. So you have to figure out what your hustle is going to be in, teach, in, in prison. Not only did I go in and do the um, the law and stuff and, and help with, with law and legal work and, and legal paperwork and stuff, but I also did a class. And so what would happen is if somebody didn't want to show up for class, but they still need the credit, they would pay me either in a book of stamps or I give them a commissary list to get some stuff off commissary. I sign you in a class every week. And when your certificate is printed and ready, I give you your certificate and you're done. Like you have to know how to make it. And when I tell you they say the strong only survive, only the strong survive, that's true. That's true. Because you have some that's in it that's so weak and so vulnerable and depressed laying in bed all day long. They don't have anything in here to do. Yes, they do. Make time, make a schedule, do something. And they have various classes, you know, not anything that's on like a, a um a, a educational background standpoint. The only thing they had at the prison I was at was the NCCR. And if you came in, I will tell you this. If you didn't have a GED, then they offered that at the prison. Yeah, they offered it. Okay. So for those who were, I guess, weak and vulnerable, so to speak, I mean, you got to have friends. You got to have allies, right? So was there pressure to join a gang? I mean, do gangs really exist in prison like we see on TV? In a women's prison, in a, in the federal prison that I was incarcerated in, no. There's really no gangs. I mean, you find your niche of people that you can hang out with, but as far as gangs go, no. I never saw any gangs or bloods and crips and, oh, she from east side, west side. They didn't have any of that where I was. You know, not to discredit other prisons and other facilities. It's just that where I was located, it was mostly immigration. So everybody that the facility that I was at was mostly an immigrant from another country, believe it or not. There was very few whites, very few blacks, very few. I, I'm serious, very few. Everybody came from another um, another country. So, I mean, so you didn't have to worry about like a lot of fights or anything? Um, fights broke out quite a lot. Um, there was a lot of disputes when it came to who watches the TV so basically, when you get ready to watch TV, in your room, you have two chairs, one for you with your bunk number on there and one for your bunkie with their bunk number on there. And when you go watch TV, you take your chair with you 
and you take with uh, an MP3 player, you can purchase an MP3 player or a radio to watch TV. So there'd be two, four, two, four TVs in the front and two TVs in a TV room. The TV room was on for sports and news only. And in the front, you watch whatever. So when you go out to try to watch the TV, as soon as they unlock us to run out from uh, count time, you run out on the floor and then you grab a table. Whoever has that table is the one that's in control of the remote to be able to turn the TV. That's the way it worked. And they would fight and argue all day long and get the TV shut down. We would all have to get locked in the cells early. Like, it would be bad. Like, I mean, it would be crazy. Simple little stuff. And don't let the ones that's lifers in there, because the lifers are very institutionalized. And I myself was one that was institutionalized. Because after so long, you're going by structure. Because when you're in there, you know you're not supposed to break a rule. So you want to do everything that's going to be right. Everything that's not going to pose a problem for somebody else. Or if you see somebody else that's breaking a rule, then you want to be the one to correct them. I don't know why it happens. I don't know how it happened to me, but it did. But by the time I get ready to go home, I didn't care about nothing. Y'all do whatever y'all want to do. I got three months left. Oh, I don't care. I got, I got three months left. I, I'm out the door. <laughs> <laughs> I heard that. So, so what were the guards like? I mean, were there any difference, differences between the male guards and the female guards? The female guards were very harsh when it came to going up to them. Like they made it as hard as they could on you as a woman. Now, some of them were very nice, very sweet, you know, want to do all they can to be for the inmates, but still do their job, which I respected. The males were a little bit more chill, very chill. And if you got you a good guardian that really didn't care about nothing, you got it made in a shade. You know, like my bunkie, Maxie, again, Maxie knew when we had a good guard on, she actually go look over the top tier and be like, oh, oh, that's so-and-so. Oh, yeah, okay, he good. This is what we're going to do. We got to go in. We got to sneak so-and-so in from another unit, bring them in. I'm going to do her tattoo, and Kim's going to watch the door. And, Ro, if you see anything, call up and let us know. It was just like that. Well, we knew that that guard was never going to come upstairs. Never, ever. He would walk the bottom floor all day long, but he would mm-hmm. never come up to the top floor. So my bunk would be up in there all day long, tattooing, drugging, everything you can name under the sun. They would be doing it while he was there because he didn't care. As long as he came in, you didn't make a problem for him, he wasn't going to make a problem for you. And that was just standard. So were there any guards that tried to take advantage of women there sexually? Tons. I have witnessed two who have already been indicted and they are incarcerated right now that have been with some of the the inmates, uh, two in particular that I do know they've been with. Um, I had one myself that I was walking and he asked me, he said, well, what's it on your back? I said, oh, this is just, just my bag. He was like, no, I'm talking about that other one that's on your back. <laughs> yeah. Oh, it was bad. It was bad. But because I had a short time, couldn't play. <laughs> I just had to stay, stay in my lane. Yeah, but I'm sure they showed favoritism to the women that maybe were a little more flirtatious or something, had something for them. They did. I can tell you one in particular, the same one I'm talking about. Um, He was a guard over at the law library. And while he was there, he heard about my case. Like we were talking. He was like, Harris, you need taxes? And I was like, yeah, you know, I I did taxes. He was like, come here, let me ask you something. So once he started asking me about taxes and, you know, cuts and stuff for his tax return and, you know, not illegal, but, you know, just good credits and stuff. Then he started having, a, I start, he started being a little bit more lenient towards me. Like he wasn't as aggressive anymore. He was just like, Harris, come here. How you doing? You know what? You come to teach tonight? You know, one of those situations. 
All right. So now you're there. We're supposed to be for 30 months. You got some who are there for life. Yeah. And you mentioned some of the relationships that they had going on in there. And with you being a heterosexual woman, were you ever pressured into anything um, or, or had women who try to pressure you into anything? No, no, never. Usually what, from what I observed of me being in there, if that's something that you already do, then those are the ones that usually go in after the studs or, you know, whatever the female situation is as far as being a lesbian or, or whatnot. But just coming in being a straight woman, no, you're not pressured into anything. Nobody's trying to fight you. Nobody's trying to coerce you into doing anything. This is something that you already have going on or your peak interest or whatever you want to call it. But just as a straight woman, no, nobody's never, ever walked up to me and say, hey, come here, you. No, never. Uh, okay, okay. So talk about the, the medical care in there. What's the medical care like for, for inmates? The medical care is horrible um, You because you have so many that go in that need help to where I guess the nurses have gotten worn out to where they don't know who's telling the truth and who's lying. I mean, it's not like you're going to get any narcotics or anything up in there. You know, the most is probably Toradol or something, but you know, you, you do have your druggies. You do have your people that come in that complain of pain. It's just not even real. Whereas I'll tell you a true situation. My sister-in-law, um, Hazel McGarry, when she was incarcerated, um, she kept complaining. She really like, I would see her walk and we were talking. I said, well, what's wrong? She was like, I'm sick. And she said, well, they don't believe nothing that I'm saying. And, uh, you know, I was like, well, I, I pray everything gets well, you know, keep your head up. Don't worry about it. And the next time I seen her, she was in a wheelchair. I'm like, what the hell? Like what? She's in a wheelchair. What's what happened? She's like, roll. I'm in pain. Something's wrong. I don't know what's wrong with me. And the way she walked when she was walking it, I can remember it looked to me like she had a stroke because she couldn't move a certain part of her body. Like she would drag the right side of her feet. And anyway, um, she ended up dying. Oh, I'm sorry to hear that. She died. And you said they just wouldn't take her word for it, huh? Not. Like she cried and cried and was in so much pain. They moved it to another unit that was downstairs. And I asked, I said, well, being that, you know, marriage wise, we were married to the same brothers. Is it okay if I can move to the unit with her? But she already had someone that was there. One of her uh, bunkies that was there really helping her, assisting her, bringing her around. And she was really good with her, but they just wouldn't believe her. Like they wouldn't. And, when she went in the last time, she she went in complaining. She wasn't moving. She was just sitting in her. Uh, they told me that she was sitting in a wheelchair all that morning. Somebody had dropped her off at medical and they actually mocked her, you know, when she was getting ready to transpire. Like it, it was very bad, very bad. Like, you know, it took an emotional toll on the whole prison community. And if you can only imagine, everybody really came together. It wasn't like, you know. Everybody stuck together like, y'all need to help her. Y'all are sorry. Y'all pathetic. This don't make no sense. This woman kept complaining to y'all, telling y'all what's going on. I did reach out to our family and sent like all the signatures of everybody who, who saw it or observed something or had something to say about it. And I also sent them an attorney because oddly enough, prior, a year prior to her passing, it was another lady passed like the same day. And that was the same situation, the same unit. So it's a lot of things that get overlooked. Like, 
I'll tell you this. Everybody's not a monster that's in there. You know, all of us have a real true background, a, a real true life story and are normal people. You know, they just happen to get caught up in the system. And sometimes the system deals in an unfortunate hand. You know, and I know a lot of people say, oh, no, you do the crime, you do the time. I agree wholeheartedly. You know, I went in and I took my, my charge like I was supposed to. And I went in. It, it was uncomfortable. But at the end of the day, I still did it, you know. But everybody's not a monster. There needs to be something that changes with the system. It really needs to be. Yeah, I can agree with you on that. People have a certain view of yeah. folks on the inside without really knowing what it's like in there and but, knowing everyone's story because everything, everyone is different. There's some people who are just evil. They can't be yeah. fixed. But then yes. you have some who made a mistake. Yes. You know? Yes. And they, yeah, yes. so I, I feel you on that. Yes, I tell you, um, before prison, I will be honest, like if somebody went to prison, I, I definitely was one that stereotyped quick and, you know, would say crazy stuff, you know, but when it's you on the other foot and it happens to you, it's a whole different ballpark. That's something that I can't explain. So that really changed my life going into prison. It really changed my life, you know, because I don't want to be the one to judge anybody on anything, you know, because you never know what fate you're going to have. You could be the same person that's riding out in a car, hit somebody, kill them, and it's vehicular homicide. And then guess what? You got 10 years in, in the prison system. You come out with life with a record. Then what? Yeah. yeah. Nothing. Not to mention any of the emotional scars you develop when you're in prison. Absolutely. Or physical scars in some Absolutely. cases. Yeah, that's true. Yeah. Okay, so a couple more questions and, and we'll get ready to, to finish up. But let's say, all right, so you've been there. You've done half your sentence. Okay. How did you feel seeing new intakes coming in there for the very first time? How how did you feel whenever you look up and you see that girl who reminds you of you when you first got in? What was that like for you? I was actually very decent. When I would see somebody new coming in, I'd be the one to sit down, me and probably one of my friends would go up to them, let them know everything about what's going on on the unit, offer them clothes offer them deodorant, toothpaste, toothbrush, you know, just things that you really need, hygiene products, or we go around a whole unit and collect things for them to make sure they had at least their hygiene. Because when you first come in, you don't have anything. You're still wearing your browns. So you don't have your grades to go to sleep in comfortably. You don't have any nice shirt to sleep in comfortably. You know, you're just there. You're walking in, you're musty off the streets or off the bus. Most of them come from a county jail or a state jail holding facility waiting to come into the federal system. So you don't have anything. You're actually yearning to hurry up to get the federal so you can take you a nice hot shower, you know, or I'd be the one to have drinks and, and, uh, and noodles and stuff, something I can give to say, Hey, listen, I know how it is. You know, I'm sorry. You got to be here, you know, but while you're here, be sure to take the time out for you to meditate on things, to get yourself up and move around and have a balance to, to learn the whole prison. So you can't stay in your room all day. Cause when I first went in, I thought I would never come out my room because for me, that was like a mother's womb. It was, it was comfortable to me. I didn't have to get to know anybody. I had to walk in front of people that I didn't know. You know what I'm saying? I didn't have to feel like somebody's watching me or staring at me or saying something about me. I didn't have to worry about all that. So staying in the room was comfortable, but at some point you got to come out. And then that's when you start to get to know people. Hey, how y'all doing? You know, Oh, Hey, my name is so-and-so. So you want to play cards with us? You know, you want to watch, we're getting ready to watch the Lifetime Movie Network, you know, so-and-so, she's on the on Lifetime right now. You want to watch this? You know, I'm going to show who you are. I'm going to show you who she is. You know, one of those situations. It really was a different community. 
Everybody was yeah. still kind of close knit, but separated, if that makes sense. Yeah, yeah. And so, and you just made me think of something when you mentioned Lifetime, and I started thinking about just TV in general. Were you all allowed to watch um, Investigation Discovery in there? Yes, we did. We you were did. allowed. Okay. Yeah, I hope you we didn't see anybody that was in jail with you, <laughs> like their did. case on TV. I've seen a few people. I've seen really? Miss, uh-huh, Miss, um, Miss Petway. She was one that kidnapped um, a baby. So the baby turned 18 years old and needed a birth certificate. And then the baby oh, found out that she was, yeah, she was, um, she was on the TV. She was on Lifetime Movie Network. Then you have um, Peggy Fulford. She was in there. She was one that, um, I guess I want to use the word embezzled money from Dennis Rodman and them over in the excess of $10 million, 5 million, 10 million, something like that. Yeah. So she was, she was in there. Crazy lady. Yeah. Um, but she was cool. She was funny. She was very, very funny. Hey, Ro, come here, girl. You know, she's one of them. Um, Giovanni, she pushed her husband off of, <laughs> he says L-O-I-G. Giovanni, she pushed her husband off of a cliff. She was in there. From what I heard, she was a very humble person. Nice. You know, they can't believe she did that because she's such a sweet person. Um, quite a few of them. Uh, one named Kat. Her and her son set up the husband, killed him. He was military. They murdered him for life insurance, and they found out about it. She was on ID. So, yeah, I met a lot of them. Oh, my goodness. Yeah. I was just cracking a joke. No. Okay. <laughs> stories a lot. A lot. Okay. So, last question. Mm-hmm. Um, it's, it's three. You find out you have, like, three months left to go or two months. You, you know you're close to getting out. What was that feeling like? Because not only, I mean, for some people, you have to worry about somebody messing up your situation. You're going to have those haters who may try to get you in trouble. Mm-hmm. So you get an extra, you know, extended sentence or something like that. What's it like for people when they know they're going to get out? Are people genuinely happy for you or are they trying to hold you back? What's, what's that feeling like? They're actually happy for you. They actually throw you a whole party. Um, I've had my first, what was it called? Sushi. I got made sushi, some rice that I love. I actually put on a few pounds. I had dropped so much weight up in there. I mean, it was crazy weight. And then after that, when it was time for me to come home, I started gaining all my weight. I didn't care about nothing. I was probably the happiest person on the unit. I'm talking about it was surreal. Right before I got ready to leave, we got this huge table. They made me a big going away party. I mean, hugs. I'm going to miss you. You know, keep your head up out there. Don't forget about me. And I actually still stay in touch with all those women. I stay in touch with all of them. Mm. I mean, well, excuse me. How did it feel when you got out, you got home, and you saw your kids again? When I tell you, that was probably the best feeling in the world to not have to keep saying, Mommy's coming home soon. Mommy's coming home soon. But to actually hit that curve. And driving that yard and the adrenaline, the excitement, like I can't even explain. I have a video. My daughter did a video of when I first went in. You know, the kids, we all cannot believe it. Like, I don't think I slept any of that night because it was just unbelievable that I was there holding my kids in my arms all over again. Like, I, I just, I, I couldn't, I couldn't believe it. I couldn't. I can only imagine. And well, Ro, we'll get ready to wrap things up. And this has been such an intriguing discussion. 
And I appreciate you joining the show and being candid with your answers. Uh, I'm sure that's why your name is so hot in these streets because everybody's trying to book an interview with Ro right now. <laughs> I know. So I appreciate you taking the time. But where can people can anybody keep up with you on social media? Um, or, or you know, where can they find you? I know you have a, a couple of foundations and things that you do. So put all that out there. Yeah, they can go on uh, Instagram. I'm Rojana Harris on Instagram. On Facebook, I'm Rojana Ro Harris. You can also reach me for legal services on the paralegal, uh, Harris and Associates Paralegal Firm, which is also under my um, my Facebook page and Mary's Home Care Angels, which is another company that I do with private um, private duties, private sitting duties and stuff to where we send someone out so we can take care of your family member and it's not through, I, of course, I can't get state funded because I'm a convicted felon. But there's other avenues, which is if you're a cash paying client, we'll come right on over. So, yeah. Okay. All right. Well, I will do, be sure to list some of those links on the show page over at the talktoq.com website. And uh, again, I appreciate, you know, I feel like I can talk to you for another hour, but <laughs> we're, we're going to have to do this again someday and, and get into some more details. I'm sure that I'll have some questions that may hit me in the future and we can discuss more. And I, I also like to point out, because this is one thing that I really want to say on the show, I know it's hard for a lot of you guys who have family members that are incarcerated. You know, please, please keep your head up, stay focused. If they need books and materials like this, something that's going to educate them and help them not worry about the outside, please help them, please, because it's a struggle in there. And they don't have a lot up in there. Like when it goes to the, the library, they have books in there, but it's more so interesting when the family can communicate to send things out. Like it's like a, a Christmas gift all over. Even if you do it one time a month, they have different magazine uh, companies called Tightwad. Tightwad is one that does um, $10 for three magazines for a whole year. I highly recommend them because they saved my life for me to watch the Forbes and, and different little magazines that I can just keep a focus on and know what's going on to stay attuned to the outside, just to kind of feel normal. Please, please don't give up hope on them, please. And just, you know, when you when you have downtime, you have nothing else to do, reach out, write a letter, send an email, anything, just to let them know that you still love them and you're thinking about them. And very well said. Okay, and I'm sure there's some people who can appreciate that. And um, again, I thank you for joining the show. Thank you so much. I really appreciate this. I really do. Thank you. All right. And so for my people out there, I have... Um, a couple of, of events going on next week on Thursday, February the 18th at 8 p.m. Central Time. I'll be a guest on the Royalty TV podcast. And I um, appreciate the invite from Miss Queen Cole to join her crew on Facebook Live. So look for Royalty TV on Facebook and follow them there. And next Saturday, February the 20th at 7.30 p.m. Central the Talk to Q radio show will be celebrating its 10th anniversary. I, I mean, that's, that's crazy, right? I mean, the show started February 20th, 2011 as a bucket list item. I thought that I'd do one show just to say that I did a talk show. Here I am like 909 episodes later and 10 years later, still doing my thing. So I'm going to celebrate a little bit on 220 via Facebook Live. Feel free to join. But I want to thank all of you for taking part in this Q on one episode of the Talk to Q radio show. You can search for me on Facebook, IG or Twitter at Talk to Q. That's Talk, the number two Q. Please leave feedback wherever you can, especially on Apple. 
is greatly appreciated and it goes a long way towards you know my show being exposed to more people so everyone take care and we'll see you next time all right